my curiosity for you is what made you not quit? It would have been pretty easy, man, that first semester or quarter academic probation. Hey, this isn't for me, not at home, pack my bags and leave. What kept you coming back each time? To me, I would say it was the support from my friends, you know, the support from the guys that I've met in the community at life and outside of that, even with just Atlanta rugby that were telling me, Hey man, you are, you are a good player. Keep going. Don't stop. You know, um, I've never really had that attitude either, to be completely honest with you. I was taught when I was very young to, uh, if you're going to start something, you finish it. And I, I really take that to heart. And, uh, so after that first, first quarter being on academic probation, I was like, all right, I have to turn this around. There's no, there's no giving up. There's no packing my bags and going home. As you say, the only solution here is to get myself together and keep going forward. Join me, Jeremy Swick on into the unknown, a podcast that delves into the personal journeys, stories, and experiences of individuals across diverse professions. As a historian by trade, I firmly believe that our personal histories shape our present and offer valuable insights into our paths ahead. With that being said, let's get into it. On this episode of Into the Unknown, I am joined with a very special guest, Mr. Damon Torres. How are you doing today, Damo? All good, Sumo. How about you, brother? Man, I can't complain. I can't complain. You know, a little cold in Wisconsin right now, but I chose to move back, so, you know, it's all good, bro. Right. <laughs> of course. Not too bad here in Dallas, I'll say. I love it. A little it. rainy, but that's it. I love it. I love it, man. So, you know, the way we kick off the show is talk about the importance of networking. I think it's so important to get to know people wherever you might be, and how do we know each other, man? Um, I want to say it was 2021. Um, I was coming off my first season of rugby ATL and in the off season, uh, came and joined old white to play some sevens. Um, you were around training with the lads and, uh, came along with us to nationals as our team manager. Absolutely sorted the boys out. <laughs> I'm a perfect, uh, van driver slash anything we needed, man. You were there to help us out. And obviously you are the captain and leader of the sumo warriors with Atlanta old white. So. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Long live the Sumo Warriors. And one of the dope things about Atlanta Old White and just playing rugby down in Atlanta in general is as big as the city is, as big as the area is, rugby is really small. We all loosely know each other, yeah. all loosely connected, which is pretty sweet, man. For sure, man. And it's awesome that, you know, in this little Old White community, whether it's Old White or the Renegades or Life Guys or when Rugby BHL was there as well. There was a sense of community, like you said, because it was so small. We would train at Old White's Pitch. I mean, we would train with the Renegades sometimes. Old White would train at uh, Radio TLHQ or at Life. You know, was, there was always the intermingling, and I thought that was always really special. Definitely a special thing about Atlanta. It really was, man, because, you know, we're competing with each other, against each other, depending on what team you are or what time you're playing in the yeah. year, if it's spring, summer, or, you know, 15s, it was just always a cool atmosphere because, of course, we're all going down to Buckhead at the end of the night. We're all going to end up in the same places <laughs> right. and, you know, hang yeah. out and just have a good time. So it was always yeah. fun, man. Yeah, RIP Buckhead Saloon. <laughs> yes. Let's just jump right into it. What's your origin story? Who are you? Think comic book issue number one. Who's Damo? Perfect. Yeah. So obviously my name's Damon Torres. Um, 
I was born in a suburb of Austin called Round Rock, Texas. Uh, yeah, man, I um, played football my whole life. I'm a massive Cowboys. I know you'll love that. Cowboys, Mavericks, Rangers fan. Um, we won't talk about the other weekend, though. Uh, and uh, so I played football my whole life. And then um, when my senior year of football ended, I had a few friends call me up and say, come out to rugby practice. And I was like, you know what? Football's done. Nothing to worry about. Came out to play rugby. And uh, that's where I met Dr. Paul McCartney, who is my rugby coach, a.k.a. Dr. Hop, uh, Dr. Rock. He um, was a life alumni. And he saw potential in me when, um, when I was young, you know, and actually put my name forward to go to the Life U summer rugby camp where they would hold every year bring all high school athletes from all around the country to see if um, they were, you know, basically good enough to play at life. So luckily enough, I got sorted out to that camp um, and earned myself a scholarship to play at life. And honestly, man, that's, it just grew from there. When you first get that first day of practice, what were your thoughts about this rugby? Did you know about it beforehand or were you just simply just done with football and looking for something to do? So luckily enough, uh, we got a few rugby league games on TV when I was young. We were, when my family was one of the first ones to jump in on the direct TV craze. And um, we got all these channels, right, for a super cheap price. And one of the channels just had to be rugby. I want to say I was 10, 11 years old. And I was watching, and I was like, wow, these guys like, are super physical, super fast. They are like, it's very exciting. Like, I didn't know what it was. So I looked into it then. And then kind of put on the back burner and was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll do that one day. Maybe not. And then as soon as the uh, football ended for me, I had these two friends who I was very close with, Sean David Masters, who asked me to come out. And that was that, man. I fell in love with the sport immediately. As soon as I got my hands on the ball and just realized how open and flowing and expressive the game was, that, that was it for me. I've been in love ever since. You said you went to this camp. What were your plans before this camp? Because rugby just kind of came into the picture. Honestly, I was looking at maybe going to JUCO, play football. Um, I didn't get any D1 offers out of high school. So probably was going to go the JUCO route. See if that worked out. But knowing me, probably not, would not have. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was the idea. Go Juco, try to get a D1 offer, and then, you know, try to make the NFL. So, you end up at life. What was that like? What was that first experience up on campus and, you know, in Marietta? Uh, did you just throw everything in a bag and move up there, or how did that work? Practically. Um, I was lucky enough, my dad and myself, uh, drove from Austin to Atlanta, which is about a 15-hour drive, and just chucked all my clothes into a bag and drove out there. I remember very vividly that um, all we had in the living room was a couch, and I put my dresser and a TV with my original Xbox connected to it, and I was playing Rugby 06 <laughs> by myself in my dorm room waiting for other guys to show up. Um, it was uh, super interesting. I mean... The first training at life was, I'll never forget it, because I watched a guy pass the ball off his left and his right hand. And I was like, I don't know if I'm in the right place. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, the, the skill level was just so much higher. And I think that really built the passion for me to just improve and get better. Because I was like, I, if I don't 
work on this. I'm going to get left behind. And I was already like a, a step behind because I'd only played rugby ever for one full season. So I was like, I have to accelerate this process because if not, ooh, man, I was going to have a tough go. So take me to that. Were you a, a starter right away or how did that end up working all out for you? Oh, no, definitely not a starter right away. I, uh, I think the adjustment from high school to college was tough for me, especially being so far away from home. Uh, I ended up being academically ineligible after my first semester or first quarter as we do it live. And um, I really gutted me. And the thing that got me the most was um, the coaches that were there who were David Gannon and Dylan uh, Fawcett, a.k.a. the Butcher. They were the hardest on me out of anybody. I'd never really been in a position where I failed and someone else came to me and said, you failed. You need to be better. It was always like, ah, I just have to deal with it, whatever. So hearing them and feeling them be upset with me drove me as well. I was like, okay, I need to improve to get better. So that first year I played one game with the um, the varsity team, which was great. Um, and we ended up going on and winning the national championship. And that was ooh, great, you know, but still that hunger was inside me. It's like, I want to be in that game. Fast forward to year two, uh, we play a whole fall season and they decide this season we're going to make two teams. We're going to have a, a varsity squad that's like all undergrad players that are like the top high performance guys. And then a D2 men's club where it'll be all of the men's players plus all the guys that just are falling short of that varsity mold. And unfortunately slash fortunately, <laughs> I uh, was dropped to that D2 men's side. I at, and at the time I was devastated, right? I was like, oh, I really want to compete for another national championship, playing with my undergrad, you know, players with me instead of these men's club guys. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this that, and the other. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise because what I got out of it was a ton of playing time. I was an immediate starter with the team, um, playing second row against grown men week in and week out at 19 years old is uh <laughs> it's a bit more of a challenge i'd say <laughs> um and it was actually huge for my development and it helped me learn like a lot of small skills that you need going forward and you know being better and when you're playing better competition you'll still need those minor details you know it doesn't matter if you're playing d3 or mlr if you know if you're really good at those details you're gonna be doing great so that was huge for me. And then um, we ended up going on and winning the D2 Men's Club National Championship that season, beating the St. Louis Bombers in the final at uh, Infinity Park in Glendale, which was unreal experience. Um, but yeah, I, I still remember just being in the van with all those guys. And I was like, wow, this is so great. I was 19 <laughs> and these guys are ex-professional players, you know, on the yeah. team and ex, you know, really high performing collegiate players as well. And I was like, I'm sitting right amongst them. You know, I can basically play, I could take on the world. My junior year, play the whole season. Um, a week before playoffs are bound to happen. I break my foot, miss the whole, whole playoffs. And I sit at home while I watch life play University of California, which is the first time they played 
and I want to say at that time six, seven years, and we just beat them up so bad. 60 to 5, we beat them. And I was like, wow, yeah, you know, so hyped. You know, you, you always support your team. You love the boys. Yeah. But, you know, the heartbreak also of being like, I could have been there. I could have made a difference. It's like, uh, I don't know how this really feels for me. Uh, and that leads me to my final year, my uh, fourth year, my senior year of life, where we were, uh, we were again expected to do everything. We lost a lot of senior guys to uh, the MLR, but we were like, all right, we're going to go again. We're going to see how this, uh, we were meant to win another championship. So we actually had a lot, lot of trials and tribulations that season. Many games won by less than five points. Uh, had a scare against Navy, won by two points. A scare against Lindenwood, won by three. Um, and then we get to the final against Cal again. And I'm like, all right, this is my moment. Here we go. Like, this is our time. Uh, we end up going up early by quite a bit, and then they come storming back, and all the momentum's on their side. And I just remember the last kickoff of the game, we're up by two points. And we kicked them the ball, and we all just spoke to each other right before the kickoff. Like, we give them nothing. We don't give them anything. Our defense will be a flat line. And I think they ran maybe four phases, and then they tried to throw a big pass out wide. Ball skips on the ground. One of our guys picks it up, dives into the touch. Game over. And that was the pinnacle, I'd say, of my life rugby career was getting that national championship win with the varsity team that I so coveted to be on, you know, I was, you know, always on the cusp, but never there. Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> and, uh, getting to that moment was, was huge, man. It was awesome. Damn, well, that's amazing. My curiosity for you is what made you not quit? It would have been pretty easy, man. That first semester or quarter academic probation. Hey, this isn't for me. Not at home, pack my bags and leave. What kept you coming back each time? To me, I would say it was the support from my friends, you know, the support from the guys that I'd met in the community at life and outside of that, even with just Atlanta rugby that were telling me, hey, man, you are you are a good player. Keep going. Don't stop. You know, um, I've never really had that attitude either, to be completely honest with you. I was taught when I was very young to uh, if you're going to start something, you finish it. And I, I really take that to heart. And uh so after that first first quarter being on academic probation, I was like, all right, I have to turn this around. There's no there's no giving up. There's no packing my bags and going home, as you say. The only solution here is to get myself together and keep going forward. Love that demo. So you win the national championship. You're done. What's next for you? What was after that? So um, I had decided at this point to go – into my fifth year at life. Um, I was taking just a few classes and really being able to play, you know, collegiate rugby. And I was like, you know what, here we go. One more, one more go, one more bite the apple. And we'll see what happens. You know, this year we had lost even more guys, you know, to the MLR. Um, so we were a very, very young team. We had a lot to figure out. Uh, we actually go out to Arkansas State and lose to them for the first time in seven years, I want to say, six years. And that was heartbreaking, devastating. It was probably, I want to say it was my first loss in a life jersey. It was that one. 
and I, I took some thinking. I, I sat back, and I thought, we play Lindenwood next week, which is our biggest rivals at life, and we have to set the tone, make saving it. Um, Lindenwood comes to town. We play them in a barnstorming match. It was such a great, great game. Barely ink it out the win again with our defense, you know, smashing guys and forcing the guy into touch, and we win the game. But as exciting as that was, um, we won that game, and then two weeks later, we're meant to have our senior day. I'm very excited because I'm finally, you know, getting getting my flowers or whatever, as, as they say. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, they're like, oh, we have to cancel the game. COVID is around. So we're, we're just going to cancel the game two weeks, you know. Then we'll see if we'll reschedule. Two weeks quickly turned into six months. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, my, my fifth year was cut short. Um, so I ended up going and I, you know, finished my degree at life. And then the idea of the MLR draft comes up. And then I'm like, okay, here's my you know, next opportunity. Had the idea of you going into the MLR draft or any of that crossed your mind before that moment? Or was it the fact that we couldn't play rugby for so long that made you really want to play more rugby? Um, I, I wasn't sure. You know, I, I think that the MLR draft came along and I thought to myself, you know, I have a degree now. I could get a job, you know, if I want. But, you know, let me throw my name in the hat. And if something comes up, then great. You know, we'll, we'll see what the deal is and I could potentially pursue it. But if not, no big deal. You know, move on. I have my degree now. So I got the piece of paper I needed. <laughs> you know. Um, but no, I don't think it really did cross my mind too much. So that leads me to my next question. What happened with that? So like I said, I entered the 2020 MLR draft. Um, unfortunately, I, I was... Uh, well, let me premise it with this, right? We had a bit of like a draft party at my apartment, myself and, you know, Justin Johnson, JJ, had both entered into the draft. Um, and Connor Mooneyham as well, excuse me, another guy. We had all entered. Uh, Connor wasn't at the party, but myself, JJ, a few of our close friends and uh, roommates slash girlfriends were there as well. We watched the draft and JJ is a first round pick goes to the free jacks we're all very, very excited for him you know we're yeah jay, jay good stuff good stuff but i was like ah oh, you know when when are they going to call my name as the night goes on it becomes more and more apparent that it's not going to happen and uh you know I, I i'm devastated you know i was like i know i say that I have the degree and I could do this and that, but you know how it is, man. You just, you want to get on the field. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You want to play, you want to play as much as you can for as long as you can. So after that, you know, guys came up to me like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it didn't work out. I'm like, it's, you know, out, outwardly I'm saying it's yeah. fine. No big deal. Inwardly I'm losing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you can do. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, but then shortly after, um, I get a call, I want to say 10 minutes after the draft is finished, I get a call from, um, Neat Hedica, who was my coach at life. Um, he, at this time had taken a position with rugby ATL as a player slash, um, academy coach. So he gives me a call and he 
gives me the opportunity. He says, do you want to come and play for our academy and see if you can earn a spot with rugby ATL and going into their inaugural season? And I was like, of course. <laughs> I will I'm not doing anything right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Where do you need me? <laughs> uh, can I start on Monday, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he gave me a call and uh, yeah, I ended up going and doing the academy stuff. So from the Academy, man, where'd you go after that? Um, with the Academy, it was a, it was a great experience. I think really stepping foot into like a high performance professional environment for the first time, um, meeting so many coaches and having the coaching from, you know, Scott Lawrence, who is the, not the Academy coach, but the Academy coach, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> he, uh, uh, we play four games i want to say against um new orleans we played ourselves we played uh, a couple other teams i want to say houston's academy and maybe one other life life as well um and after those four games scott brought me into his office and was just like we want to we want to make you an offer we want to give you a, a associate player contract with rugby atl which as some may know, some may not, it's just a, you know, hourly contract to play with the team, you know, basically a training contract, you know, bring you into the training camp and see how you go. And I had a serious conversation with my parents at this point because I did have my degree from life. I could easily go get a job making at least 40K, 50K, you know, as an entry-level position anywhere. And they told me that when I was a little kid, they said, they asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And they said, this is your opportunity. So I take it, have a go. And I was like, ah, can't beat that. So what happens to you after that? Well, uh, we go into the preseason uh, with Rugby ATL and I honestly get... I, I mean, I, I get, it's a whole other level, you know, I get absolutely dumbfounded by how good these guys are all over again. Uh, just like when I started at life, like my goodness, these guys are really good and they're really big and they're very physical. I went from playing second row in college all five years to now I'm the shortest back row on the team. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to take, uh, I had to learn a few different and new skills, you know, I went from playing in the middle of the field to now playing on the edge, um, learning about how detailed it really does get within like a professional organization. And, you know, you just, I think the biggest lesson I learned from my first year is you have to take every single opportunity because I was at Johnny McCracken's having a beer, uh, after a training session because I wasn't selected to play on the weekend. And I get a ring from Scott Lawrence and he says, Hey, you know, one of the guys is out with COVID. We need you to travel. Or is that something you want to do? And I immediately said, yes, let me go. Sets know? down beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Hey guys, I can't drink this anymore. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, so I made it up to old glory um, to play those guys. I think I played four minutes <laughs> coming off the bench into the second row, of course, because <laughs> uh, where else? Um, but that little showing, I think, showed him that how hungry I was because the very next week I got my first start. I started at eight um, against San Diego and had a 
I want to say still to this day, one of my better games in the MLR. Um, and then started again the following week at Blindside, uh, number six, against New York. And again, I want to say one of my better games in the MLR as well. Um, but then the very next week, it all comes crashing down because I come off the bench for an injured Connor Cook and about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the game. And then 10 minutes after I'm in the game, I make a chop tackle right on the side, um, sorry, on the try line and dislocate my shoulder. And that's me for the year, you know. I attempted a comeback at the very, very end of the season, six months later, but I think I played 10 minutes in two games. And they were like, you know, let's heal up, get you ready for uh, the next season. So you heal up. What happens after, you know, after that, you've had some time, you know, you, again, it feels like the national championship all over again, I'm sure. It definitely did because that next year, um, again, like, unfortunately, fortunately, we get some injuries in the team and I'm thrust into a position of, you know, being the guys play. I played 12 games the very next season, uh, just off a rehab shoulder, no surgery. Um, and here we go. 10 starts, 12 games. I make MLR team of the week twice. I'm just grinding at all gears. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then once again, like right at the tip of the iceberg, we have our first playoff game against New York. I get dropped completely from the, uh, from the roster. I'm like, ah, again, here we are, you know, here we go again. <laughs> um, but I'd say even, even after that, it just made me more hungry. I just was like, I don't want anyone to ever have a reason to pull me off again, you know, for them to think that I'm not prepared, even although I feel like I've shown and done everything I need to do to be in the position for them to be successful. If they're not seeing the same thing, then what do I need to change? Yeah, I think I took that into the following season and I took on a new challenge. Um, Once again, our team was struck with injuries and, our captain, Matt Heaton, wasn't going to be available for the first couple of games, and they needed someone to play open side. Uh, at this point, I had never played open side flanker uh, at any level. So they kind of chucked me into that position, and, you know, to me, I saw it as just another opportunity to be on the field. Um, get out there and keep on pushing my name, keep on pressing myself forward and doing everything it was that was needed from the team that they needed from me, but also finding any and every way I can get out of the pitch. As some people may or may not know, following that season, what what happened to Atlanta? The owner that had initially started the team, Marcus Callaway, passed away in 2021. Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty devastating. He was a great guy, really huge in the Atlanta rugby community and brought professional rugby to Atlanta. And, you know, for that, I am forever grateful. Because he not only touched my life, but he touched so many others. Um, but we were bought then by a uh, another ownership group who owns the uh, Free Jacks and the Sabercats under the pretense of they're going to keep the team for two years. If they can't sell the team in two years, then they're just going to have to let it go. And their thought behind it was they want to sell it to somebody who's going to keep it in Atlanta. And which, you know, great, happy for that. Uh, but the two years go by, 
nobody's fronting up the money to keep the team in Atlanta. A uh, new ownership group coming from uh, L.A. comes. They want to buy the franchise and move it out to Los Angeles. So the team kind of, you know, as a player group, we came together and kind of saw the writing on the wall and understood, hey, this is probably going to be the last time we're all in one space together. And so, you know, we enjoyed each other, but now we're all over the league. Like on everyone's journey, there's a, there's a fork in the road. You can go east, you can go west. Can you give me a time through this crazy experience so far or what's to come that you made a decision not really knowing the outcome? For me, it was after this Atlanta thing was falling apart. It, I took another look at myself, you know, just like I did when I finished college. I was like, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue to pursue this dream of playing professional rugby? Or am I ready to move on and more, go into more of the professional world? Um, I was given a contract offer from LA and they had exclusive rights to sign me. Um, however, I didn't take the offer. I had nothing else on the table. So for me, it was, I'm going to say no to this and see if there's interest. You know, I'm jumping into it full, full throttle. I, I spoke with my agent. And I was like, we're not taking this. They're not willing to negotiate. That's fine. Whatever. I don't want to take it. Put my name out into the, into the <laughs> matrix and see what pops up basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that was huge because I mean, this was, I want to say five months ago and I had no idea what my next move was going to be after that. So title of the podcast into the unknown. What is your version currently of the unknown? What are you just, what did you just step into five months ago? For me, it was uh, the unknowing of where, where am I going to do? You know, I, I stayed on top of my training because I was like, at any moment I could get a phone call. Somebody wants me. So I stayed on top of my training regimen, but then I was also, you know, applying to jobs, <laughs> applying to uh, entry level positions at all the um, companies around, uh, around Atlanta. And uh, I actually ended up started dating a girl out in Atlanta as well. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't seem so bad. I was playing house a little <laughs> bit. I was like, oh, I could, I could do this, you know, and uh, was really ready to kind of settle down and until, uh, yeah, yeah, until the jackals called my yeah. phone. Well, what made you decide, uh, you know, give it another go, I should say? I think the opportunity for me to come back to my home state and represent a brand that I think is on the upward tick um you know obviously being from austin and playing out in atlanta my family could maybe come see me play once maybe if they're lucky twice a year uh here being in dallas it's a two and a half hour drive they could come see me every weekend if they wanted you know um and also all the relationships i've built out in texas coming back and forth uh within the austin rugby community as well and hoping that we can build this kind of support system within the Dallas Jackals, um, already solidified uh, thing that they have, and just keep on building something. You know, I'm, I'm super excited for the opportunity to build something from the ground up uh, and try to help these guys really push, push the boundary into the next level of what it is to be like a professional sports organization. Damn, well, that's so exciting, man. It's just, it's cool to kind of see, you know, you travel far away, 
because of rugby and now you're able to come back closer to home because of rugby. It's, it's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a blessing, honestly. So for those who don't know, when do you guys start up? Have you started training already? What's going on in, uh, in Jackal world, I guess. Yeah. So training started this week, preseason week one has been a bit of a stormer. Uh, <laughs> body's a bit sore, but, uh, yeah, man, we have our, this is our first week of, uh, preseason we've got um three more weeks before our first preseason match in houston against uh, the free jacks um and then after that we're straight into the season march 3rd in la luckily enough against la um so i get to see a bunch of my old friends again and uh yeah we'll have a go you know that's exciting man i, I got one thing before i leave i just wanted to show you this i think you already know i have it but Oh, you know, yes. my Damo jersey <laughs> from the, you know, the, the peach game. Oh, yeah. But it's cool, man. You know, that's awesome. it's just dude. cool how rugby continues to build. I'm excited to, you know, get down. I'm hopefully going down to DFW pretty soon for a couple different things. And, you know, definitely going to try to catch a game. Oh, lovely, man. Hey, you let me know, and I will get you a ticket. I appreciate you, man. You know, again, I just wish you nothing but the best of luck going forward, rugby life, all that stuff. We talk quite a bit, so, man, I'm just looking forward to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, man. I, and thank you for letting me come on here on your platform, and I'm loving the way it's growing, dude, and the people that you've been talking to have been super cool to hear their stories. And, uh, yeah, man, I just hope you keep this up and – Keep trucking along. Appreciate you, man. That was another fun episode of Into the Unknown. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen. And if it provides you any value or entertainment, I would love if you shared it with others, liked, subscribed, and really just helped the podcast grow. Again, tell a friend, tell a foe, just anyone who might enjoy hearing some stories of people's own journeys and what got them to where they are today. Till next time.